Ian, uh, what are you doing turning up in my London flat? What are you doing in my country, Kate? Ask yourself that. Also, where's your fridge? Aha, that's it. I found it, and I found what I'm looking for. You found out-of-date food well done, Ian. But just for the record, it's not mine. Typical London house share situation. You should be happy there's not a dead body in the freezer. I've come to share your food, Kate. You should be happy I'm turning your waste into someone's breakfast. Well, actually, it's my housemate's waste, and the someone is you. Details, details. Listen, imagine if there were people like me saving food from waste but on a bigger scale, not just bothering your fridge, but tapping into all the waste from circuits of food distribution and sharing it. Hmm, I'm imagining it. Actually, there's no need to imagine. Our colleague Romaine Jolly went to speak to two food savers in Freiburg, Germany. She did. Yeah. And more precisely, she spoke to uh, Kea Zinnemann and David Bachmann, veterans of the food sharing scene. I've had my breakfast and I've got to go now, but I'll leave you the interview to listen to while you're doing the dishes. Speak soon. Welcome, Kaya and David. Thank you very much for joining us on this Urbana podcast series about sustainability and justice in cities. We are excited to have you today to get some insights on the food sharing initiative uh, you're running in Freiburg, Germany. And just before we get into the topic, I'd like to let our listener know that today um, we will talk about the food sharing organization, so what it does, the way it works, from a governance perspective. So we've been dealing a lot recently with the notion of governance, in particular uh, at the urban arena held in March this year, And in a previous episode of this podcast series, where we had uh, the chance to learn about the Changing City Initiative in Berlin. Well, so let's get started. Could you, could you please, in a few words, uh, let us know what food sharing is about? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for the, for the introduction. Yeah, food sharing is a, mainly an internet platform to organize um together to pick up leftover foods from different companies restaurants and even private households so we are basically looking or aiming to be the the last link in this long chain of food processing just before food would have been discarded that we step into into that game and prevent actually that the the food actually ends up in the bin Yeah, so maybe to sum it up, we're a group of volunteers that saves food from the bin, and we do so in agreements with the supermarkets themselves or the private households, yeah. Could you explain us a bit which type of cooperation it is? We fix basically an agreement that every day or once a week, whatever is um, suitable for, for the retailer, so basically he sets the boundary conditions, and he can also vary them as much as he likes. So we, so we will just adapt to whatever they, they, in a sense, request. And then we just ensure that for the, at the given time that we appointed, um, there's people from food sharing to um, pick up there then the leftover food and we will take care in a sense of everything. Mm -hmm. And as David mentioned, it's um, a bit different in each corporation. And then on our shared webpage, we can always read up on these rules so that if I have, um, Yeah, if I go somewhere and I pick up food and it's the first time, I would read the rules before and say, ah, okay, at this and this time, I wait there. This is how it works there so that it's really transparent for everyone. Yeah, and as like as, as an individual food saver, uh, saver you're basically, um, you have like in, within that 
uh, internet platform, a calendar where you can just pick out a slot. And once you uh, pick your slot, um, then you are responsible for that very time. And we also Fuchang internally make sure that um, you take that uh, responsibility serious. Could you tell us a bit more about the structure of food sharing? So um, we are organizing uh, ourselves over this internet platform and in uh, local groups that are usually situated in uh, cities. And um, here we are talking about Food Sharing Freiburg, where we have around uh, 400 active food savers that pick up over 500 kilograms of food every day. The basic idea is that so when food sharing started a couple of years ago and in, in 2012 actually, um, the initiative set out in Berlin and fixed basically this internet platform and they were thinking about like a set of rules or some um, common structure such that um, other local local groups could form and adhere to these rules, but still had enough freedom to act lo locally as they might need for the, the corresponding specific case. So um, in practice, this is uh, organized by having this internet platform together with a wiki, which provides the, the set of rules that is also democratically decided on. And as people organizing this in, on a national level or on, on the global scale, so to say, Whereas now specifically in Freiburg, we have these rules that tell us the guidelines, basically, but we still have to figure out how we do things in detail. Okay, so if I understand well, this flexibility allows to adapt to local context, right? Exactly. So this is, on the one hand, this um, the, the strict guidelines help us to, to focus and do not lose, basically, the actual aim or goal of food sharing to actually save food, as the name uh, suggests, uh, while we have enough freedom to specifically act on whatever context um, a certain city provides. Foodtrain is actually an environmental organization. So we want to value the food and all the resources that went into the production of the food because, yeah, it's just incredible that something so precious just goes to the bin. And that is our main purpose, to save it actually from the bin. And um, that that I think is yeah also the funny thing that in the end we want to be superfluous. We're more like treating the symptoms. We're working in a system that that is not working anymore because there is all this food waste and we do something with it. But in an ideal world, of course, there wouldn't be any food waste anymore. But until we get there, we are there to at least um, save it from the bin and then distribute it with uh, whoever because our yeah, number one priority is that it really gets eaten and used in a way. To whom do you distribute the food? Because I get there is a strong issue of justice and it's interesting to see how we can link uh, justice and sustainability. We are, we're not a charitable organization in a way that we have conditions to whom we can give the food. We just distribute the food kind of unconditionally. Uh, I think one thing that also many people know about food sharing are these public pickup points. I think we have around 13, which are um, all over Freiburg in different districts. And this can be anything from just a shelf in a public place, or sometimes it also has a fridge. And these are places that are accessible for everyone. Ideally, um, people know where they are and it's easy to, to see them and to get there. And then people who pick up food, so us food savers, we would bring the food that we have 
um, picked up there and then whoever can come and pick it up from there. But um, of course, for example, I live in a shared flat with eight other students, so I can also bring a lot of food in my shared flat and a lot will be eaten there or just in the dorm. We also have a pickup point. So, um, yeah, I think these pickup points are really cool because they are so they have such an open access. It's not not so much of um, a giving and receiving, but really a public point where everyone can meet and everyone can bring food and take food. Was that a wish to make something different from other food banks or other uh, organizations which distribute food on social criteria? So, so the, the main point why we are doing it in a sense in this, by design in this very public and open way is that, um, usually we have to act really quickly. The food that we pick up is really, uh, turning bad within hours or days or very soon. So we have to make sure that we reach people and, uh, in this limited time scale just to, to have the, the food actually being eaten. And on the other hand, um, as, as Kaya just explained, it's these pickup points or sharing stations are such that anyone without any um, certificate or whatever um, can pick up the food because we think we are not the ones to judge who is in a sense in need. And I think there's many people that um, are grateful for this kind of infrastructure where they do not have to provide any paperwork there's no conditions no questions asked at all you just can go there and pick it up we try to in a sense keep it as simple as possible and this is just yeah the way it works then i mean uh, we also originated a bit from the dumpster diving movement and that was also the idea that why is food that is still edible and then thrown away um private property and why is it illegal to to um still use that and we found a way out of this illegality because we have agreements with the shops and we think that if they don't want to sell it anymore that this food this yeah what would they have to consider waste in a way then it's rather a common good and um yeah we we don't have any money involved in all of this so um yeah maybe i can add on top of that like from from a legal perspective basically food sharing managed as kaya just explained to to evade this legal gray zone to real um, uh, illegal zone where dumpster diving comes in and we're still on on the go basically we're still fighting to get out of this gray zone in a sense not with our corporations but actually with our sharing stations or pickup points because oftentimes um, there are government regulations that prevent actually this kind of uh, conditionless sharing of uh, food And yeah, so depending, this is ex exactly a, a good example for this, this local context that we touched up on earlier, depending on what city, depending on uh, what local government acts there, there might be even different or stricter regulations or rules, whatever. And yeah, food sharing needs to adapt that. And this is actually like, if you look at the history uh, of the uh, timeline of food sharing, so it originated somewhat from dumpster diving, then evaded this illegal zone, into the gray zone and we are looking forward now to um, make also the sharing stations clear on a legal perspective and persistent in that way and finally the the ultimate goal for the far future would be something that food sharing itself becomes redundant that we food sharing is not necessary anymore that um, we can prevent this food waste because we are just fighting the symptoms and not the actual disease if you wish
Yeah, I understand. It's interesting actually because you're fighting on the on the mean of production of the big distribution companies. So is another risk that is actually enforced broken system rather than transformed? I think um, what I always liked about Futuring is that we are very aware that we are not the solution, but that we are treating the system, as we said several times. And I would actually say that um, just the act of, of making food that would be wasted visible by putting it into the pickup points is already politicizing that issue. And again, that's uh, my personal experience in my shared flat. We often talk about this and everyone in this dorm who sees the food in the pickup point, it's really regularly a topic that we're surprised what ends up there, how much, what good quality, how much food. And I think it's actually raising a lot of awareness and bringing this issue into people's eyes and in, yeah, just we we talk about it and we discuss why this is a problem and why this food would even be thrown away. Yeah, and I can also emphasize that on a, on a personal level. So I, I cannot just sit here, sit in here watching if I know like that on the other side of the planet, people are starving, literally, like there, there's not enough food for them. And I know that this food is discarded here. So it's, it's better to act um, as we do in the moment. And besides that, of course, we want to push the political dis discussion. We want to transform the system. Uh, also, as Kaya just said, uh, I think this, this food chain can transist and like from fighting symptoms towards more this prevention perspective um, continuously, right? We like this is actually what one of the main goals that Food Chain Freiburg has at the moment. We want to have like a better cooperation and better tie in with the city of Freiburg that we um, start shared projects and there's actually some some projects in, in planning and maybe we can even go to schools give some workshops maybe online seminars whatever some um information anything would help actually and just to, to raise this awareness and then we hope that even more people would join and also push towards uh, a change of politics okay yeah thank you very much for this really compelling answer actually <laughs> I think it will be interesting for our listeners to know a bit uh, about the regulation which are recommending food waste to understand how what is the position in food sharing uh, within that and what you are advocating for. Um, yeah, I think that generally it's important to know that the governments and we actually have the same goal. The I mean, in the the SDG twelve, I think sub goal three is to <laughs> to half food waste until twenty thirty. And that's a very um, ambitious goal until then. So the governments also know that they need to take action. And I think food sharing is already um, having a positive impact. So in fact, they yeah also want to reach out to us and cooperate with us and further build on this because we have the same goal. We want the same thing. Um, just the problem is that then there's sometimes a misfit between theory and practice that in theory, we're totally on the same page and we I think nobody would say that food waste is a great thing. That's absolutely um, yeah, clear for everyone. But then um, maybe it's maybe it's because of miscommunication or not because we don't cooperate enough yet that there are some regulations, for example, regarding the traceability of food. So there's actually a regulation that wants um, all the food that is put to a pickup point to be traceable so that it's always known from where what food comes from. And that is just actually impossible from because of this public nature of pickup points. It's not only us certified food savers who bring food there. It can also be private people. And that's just impossible to, I mean, you would have to employ people who sit next to the 
point all the time and just write lists where what comes from. So that's kind of impossible. And yeah, we, we kind of understand that hygiene and traceability are important goals and that food safety is also important, especially when um, yeah, some, some food things are at the end of their life cycle, let's say. But we also see that this is simply not doable. And um, yeah, we need to work together on solutions, I think, for these practical matters. Yeah, moreover, even like um, some of the corporations that we have with some uh, um, supermarkets or restaurants um, uh, put into condition that we do not document or do not trace basically where the food comes from. They don't want to be named in public. This might have different reasons. Um, so this actually contradicts with the uh, proposed, maybe well-intended um, food regulations from from government government side, and yeah, this in a sense makes it hard for us to yeah adapt these rules or to obey these rules. But as Kaya said, we we are looking forward to uh, to phrase a di dialogue between government and. Um, activists in a sense and we will find hopefully some some solution that fits on both ends yeah and just to add one more very concrete example one new regulation that came up with the pandemic was that things that couldn't be washed in a way so for example um, let's say bread should always be packed individually and that we just found that in a practical way this is very hard because from the from the um, shops we sometimes get huge bags full full with uh, breads and then we would have to pack each of them individually in small bags and then people still want to see what they pick up so they would open up each bag and then in the end it's counter counterproductive because uh, the food gets touched even more so we we kind of struggled with that regulation a bit as well that we understand in a hygienic way that it makes sense to have everything packaged that cannot be washed but on a practical way it's again very difficult so these new regulations that we just talked about are by the state government of Baden-Württemberg. So yeah, it's in a sense the, the state government that is sitting in, in Stuttgart. There's also local um, institutions in, in Freiburg, of, of course, which is like the, call it the community level maybe, or city level, that imposes certain regulations, especially now in, in this Corona times. Um, there's this the second regulation that Kaya mentioned, uh, the packaging that came actually from the, the city of Freiburg, um, but I think it is in a sense implemented anyway, and also in the, the stricter rules that um, actually might might originate from from Stuttgart. And I think from like a real national level, there's actually not that much that concerns us directly because it's too indirect, and the, in the institutions are not working in a sense. But they will control that on a local level, what they, they decide there. Yeah, it's not so. I mean, the national level also has this goal of reducing food waste and they also have their own strategy. So I think this is maybe how it affects us on the national level. Exactly. I see. Yeah. And um, you mentioned several times this gray zone where food sharing is. Can you explain us a bit then how you're building up trust and partnerships? Yes, yeah, maybe I can give like a, a quick overview of um, yeah, how our sharing stations in the city center evolved over time. So it began that um, there was a private um, household that offered us to, to have the sharing station in front of their, their doors. But eventually they were overwhelmed. There were just too many people. Although everything was working fine, it was just constantly busy with people. So we had to find a new place. and. 
then uh, kindly um, the university offered us to use one of the entrances. Uh, they had like a public building downtown. However, there they, we had then problems that people actually squatted in that um, uh, entrance and were just, in a sense, waiting for the food delivery. And so the university also said, okay, no. So we, we learned in, in a sense that we have to find a place that is accessible by anyone, which is our desire, which is central, uh, but which is also not, in a sense, too inviting that people will just yeah start live there because there is free food um so we came up basically with a creative solution we took an old um bicycle put on some some boxes and just chained it to like one of the public bicycle stands downtown just across the um university library and so this was basically our first food on public ground so we, we were not tied to some private household, not some university institution, whatever. And the city, in a sense, could not really, because at this point, we didn't ask the city, like, because we, we were afraid. We, we, we expect that if we, we would have asked them that they would have said no, and then um, it would, we would have been clearly, in a sense, illegal, and we would have had this huge problem, right? We couldn't share our food. And eventually, the city, in a sense, got used to it, and now, it's the, the city has adapted that spot like this bicycle has been chained now on on that very stand for i think three or four years and it's becoming more and more an institution and as speaking of now we have contact with the city and we talk about this issue and they they accept that and i think it's a it's a great solution actually to the problem and they probably would have not thought of something like that by themselves and it just evolved this way and um, now we're actually looking forward. This is now the, the uh, plan for 2022 that we have like a um, sharing station that is um, a shared project between the city of Freiburg and food sharing, which will also be probably on public ground. The catalog of ideas is more or less endless and we, we are really looking forward to, it, to have like a closer connection to the city. And I think this is done um, speaking now, zooming a little bit out again, um, speaking on this, this global scale again, this will slowly uh, open us doors to, to the higher levels in, in hierarchy of um, the state government or even the national government so that just this information is spread across and they, in a sense, um, get feedback on, onto their regulations via this path. This is what we wish for, in a sense. Thank you for your for your response. And I'm also curious about um, the the beginning of the chain because we talked a lot about the end of the food chain. So what do we do with uh, waste? But the problem is also like that we generate, like the food system generate too much food, which get into waste. Ideally, um, we yeah we need to definitely look at the whole chain or at the whole yeah. And it yeah it's as you mentioned, it's really from the first step on if. If you look at vegetables on the field, like which things are not even picked up um, and it's it has so many steps and in each step, some things are lost. Also, um, yeah, then which things are not even brought to the supermarkets because they have weird shapes or there's so many reasons why things don't even reach the consumer. And then we have the yeah, that's yeah, that's a production level. Then we have the retail level where, again, they can't sell certain things. And then there's again the consumer level, which we also haven't talked so much about that if I already have food at home, 
it's still an individual person's choice. Sometimes they see the expiry date or the best before date, and they just throw away things if the the date is over if, without checking if the food is actually good. So there are so many levels. And on this national strategy to reduce food waste, they actually talk about all these different steps and how to take action in all these different steps. And then food sharing actually commented on that um, strategy. And we criticized that, for example, industries and supermarkets are not um, taken into responsibility or are not um, obliged to do something. They are just um, asked to or they can just do some voluntary agreements. But we would actually like that they are really binding legal agreements, something that it's forbidden to throw away food. And so they have to take action because, as we see right now, that voluntary agreements are just yeah, just raising awareness is not really enough because at the moment it's most times still cheaper for them to throw away the food than to um, engage with food sharing and reduce their products or find some different ways. So, um, yeah, we definitely think that that also in earlier stages of the chain, some things need to be done and that what is done at the moment is not enough. What would you suggest to governing bodies to transform the existing food system and ultimately reduce waste? Yeah, as, as Kaya just, just said, we need binding regulations that um, uh, as, as corporations with food sharing or other organizations to prevent food waste or charity um, should be uh, binding. So, so for a supermarket, there should be not the option at all, in a sense, to throw away good food. Um, the, the question is then, however, like if, if you implement this rule, how to actually um, prevent them or how to, how to share this food in, in practice and as like food sharing is one example but there, that uh, i think there are many ways in the end of the of the day and as we will force in a sense like make the strict rule like this clear strict rule which has still a lot of freedom it's so similar to the, the regulations that we set ourselves in food sharing basically we have the strict rule catalog and we adapted them to like some local context, we can apply the same principle to, to such a um, national law. And so, for example, and maybe I can illustrate that like with, with a better ex ex example, if we go now, if we want to start a new corporation with a supermarket, then oftentimes um, a corporation with food sharing is refused because they uh, say they have concerns due, uh, due to the liability um, of food. So, in practice, if you pick up food there and somebody gets sick of that food, the supermarket would be afraid that somebody sues the company because they got sick of that food. But, but actually, this is not, not a, the, the real case. We are setting up a legal contract when food sharing with the supermarket that uh, excludes this, uh, this from happening. So I think in, in the end of the day, it's sadly, it's, it's more economic motivations that they do not even openly discuss in a sense. So like they're afraid that if they give away food for free somehow that people will buy less food in the market, which might actually be happening. But um, that's why I think we, we really need this, this regulation. We cannot just build up on uh, voluntarily cooperating. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I would just add that also, education is an important point where more could be done. There's already this initiative, which is called Too Good for the Tonne, something like Too Good for the Bin, which is trying to educate people that um, food doesn't always need to look perfect and flawless and to be still good. And I think there's still lots of, um, yeah, kind of 
wrong knowledge out there that people don't know anymore um, so much about what food can be eaten and when, how to avoid food waste. Basically, it's just teaching people back their instincts. And now people look at the yogurt and they read a date and they throw it away instead of just opening, smelling, maybe tasting a little bit. And usually you can immediately tell whether it's enjoyable or not. So this is basically we, yeah, a little bit back, back to the roots and encouraging people to actually use their senses and also their common sense. Definitely. And also, I think that the main issue with like this um, out of date things and so on is that they have been made by a corporation themselves. So in the end of the day, it's like food corporation who are governing the overall food system. Um, I think we are getting towards the end of the, the discussion and I'd like to maybe let you the chance to make a, a last comment or something that you would like to, to share with our, our listeners. Actually, we, we, when we were in, in email contact a bit before about what um, this Food Trank podcast could be about, you also asked us how the pandemic changed what we are doing and what we can do. And when David and I talked about it, we actually both thought that not so much changed and we were pretty much able to continue our activities. And I think this really mm, made clear to me that we are resilient in a way and that we are, um, or that how we work at the moment is something that yeah, really works well. And because we are so small scale and have many adaptive different corporations and rules and we are flexible, we can also kind of function in, in difficult times. And that's, yeah, your question really made me appreciate that our structure works so well under different conditions. Yeah, maybe maybe I can add in like as a final as a final word that in a sense what what food sharing taught me or this whole story is that every small action counts. So if you want to do something good for the environment, if you want to do something good for justice, just do it. And even if it's just some infinitesimal piece of action, whatever, everything helps and um every every step in the right direction put, put us closer in the end of the day to the to the final goal and that's how we started food sharing that's why we do it and that's why we keep going that's a really positive perspective building blocks on like small local scale initiatives so i'd like to thank you very much for like letting us know about your your action and the huge challenges you're actually strive to address and so on this concluding word, thanks a lot. Yeah, also thanks a lot that we can, can be here today and thanks a lot for the invitation of the, the interview. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, Kate. Well, I hope you had a nice time doing the dishes and you managed to get them nice and clean. Thanks again for the breakfast. Um, what did you make of the interview? Well, certainly an easy way to have time pass when you're doing dishes and listening to a good interview. Yeah, super interesting and, and, and very in admiration of these university students who are working to you know, fight food waste in Freiburg. I had some questions around kind of like scalability of this of this model, but I think, you know, as they rightly put it, this isn't supposed to scale. This is just the band-aid that is in the intermittent phase before we actually come up with a real solution for food waste. So I was very like very I, I very much like their approach of, you know, they know that this isn't gonna be the end all be it solution, but this is something that they can do now to actually make practical impact happen during these times. Exactly, exactly. And they didn't, I mean, they, and they were totally reflective on this, right? They wanted to make themselves superfluous. They they knew that they only could, I mean, they said, okay, they're, they're doing 
something on a on a quite local scale even though it had you know wider even though they were part of wider networks but they want to make themselves eventually they want to stop doing that they want to basically solve the problem of food waste on a wider scale but it was interesting i think because it does um politicize it as as they mentioned you know it makes people think about food it makes you know your housemates think about the amount of food that's wasted when you start bringing it home um, and i think this is like super important because i think it's for a lot of people they probably don't realize the scale of food waste and uh, and even the uh, yeah the the, the idiocracy of it like when very often as it seems like people actually don't need to uh, throw away food and that's the other thing i thought was really interesting was that they were really like sort of calling people to use their senses again like both their common sense but also you know their smell and their taste and their touch to know the, for themselves whether or not food is edible or not because i think there's something really a bit worrying about how dumb we've become like where we've stopped trusting our own bodies and have started just to trust like labels or we the same way i think like when we're using um google maps to go around a city we've stopped trusting our senses or our sense of direction or even like to learn like a city instead we just allow a gps system to direct us and then we stop actually learning so i think whilst of course such things are useful at the same time i'm wondering what they're doing in terms of just reducing our own body's ability to learn and to know things about what we put in our bodies or about our environment or, or anything else mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with with calories when my mother eats food she never thinks about kind of this is 200 300 this can get me to you know a thousand or two thousand or whatnot like she just eats what feels right she knows what's healthy because it's just, you know, it's just something that you learn when you're a child. And then she uses her intuition, as, you know, and, and tries to eat healthy that way. And I think that's just being so much more in tune than when you're just counting things. And it makes you feel, you know, have very little agency over your body if you don't even understand it and can't even sense whether you're hungry, not hungry, whether this is, you know, bad food, whether this is good food, whether it's gone, gone rotten or not. I mean, I totally agree. I think it's kind of dangerous that we've maybe made everything so technical that it's kind of losing mm -hmm. our ability to even understand ourselves. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree. It also makes a difference, I think, when everything is packaged the way it is inside supermarkets very often. Mm. And they, they all talked about the sort of the need for things to be packaged for, you know, health reasons. Like, uh, I'm also a little bit skeptical of this. I mean, it's, I mean, like markets have functioned totally fine where you can actually touch and move around food, right? I know they said it was COVID reasons, but most supermarkets, uh, especially in the UK, I'm not sure about Germany, like, almost everything is it comes in a plastic wrapper right mm -hmm. like in your local supermarket which is just just insane because it basically means even when you're buying the food you don't even know like you can't even smell it you know you can't even you know you pick up a pick up some fruit if it's already like wrapped in plastic you can't even you're not even allowed to touch it to know whether or not it's fresh or not or whether or not you know it smells decent and i, and I think that's also pretty worrying in terms of uh in terms of our relationship to food you know, and, and, and how it distance, distances us bodily from the things that we actually put inside our, ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I also think that's just like another, as we do that, as we distance ourselves, it's just easier to kind of agree with the food waste that we're doing. If you see the food as kind of this thing wrapped in plastic, which doesn't really smell, and you don't see the work behind it, you don't see the soil behind it, it's just very easy to, to toss it because there's maybe a 2% chance it's it, it's gone bad. Exactly. Instead of realizing what it is, it's an amazing thing that it's grown out of the ground. It, it was a living thing, you know, and like all of these things you forget. Like, uh, yeah, when in this sort of, in, in our way of, uh, yeah, consuming these days. Have you ever been on a farm? 
Yes, I worked on a farm for a few months, actually, on an organic farm for about five months. How did that change your perception of our food system and, and food in general? Well, yeah, it gives you it gives you great appreciation. Like when you spend like four months watering cucumber because it was an organic farm with no electricity or any mechanic mechanical um, anything, and so we did everything by hand. Um, so it really, of course, it totally changes how you think about the food that you eat when you have been watering it for four months um also everything tastes great but i think that's because you're doing hard physical labor <laughs> and uh you know like and so and so you just like food tastes good like when when you do that sort of work right at the end of the day so um but yeah i i think of it in terms of like um a violence towards the earth in a sense that like that we that we when we have sort of mass farming and produced in this way i understand that we want cheap food and it's good that we have cheaper food so that people shouldn't go hungry but also we have to always i think remember the value of food and what it actually means i know usually i'm the one who's sounding a bit more skeptical on this podcast and now i've come across all very hippie but uh, but i think it's yeah but i but yeah but really like food is uh it's the it comes out of the earth and it's just like that's, that's certainly something which is uh which is something gives it a special characteristic that's not there in uh in other products you know food isn't a product only you know it mm. becomes a product but at some point it's something which is grown and i think that's like fundamentally important and something that we need to reconnect with mm. and you were saying food is food is cheap but if we were able able to use that one third of our food I think even like the base price of kind of a more sustainable way of eating and, and, and food could also potentially be cheaper or more affordable so I think there's just so much waste in the supply chain totally totally I'm for sure like the thing is we talk about anything that's cheap there's a reason why it's cheap probably because it's been made under not particularly nice conditions I mean you look at the tomato farms in Spain they look like pretty horrible places to work you know and or why we bring in food across you know from one part of the continent to another just because it's slightly cheaper so there's loads and loads of problems but I think we can't get into them all but I think we should rather yeah remain inspired I think by these food sharers in Freiburg which I don't pronounce anywhere near as well as you Kate uh, revealing your third identity not just Hungarian <laughs> and American but also also a bit German tell us how can how can people get in touch if they want to get in touch yes um, they can email us tweet us we're on social media and various other forms below you can find all the information um, to reach out to us and if you want to be an urban arena a correspondent we are very happy to get listener submissions so just again email tweet um, and send us your thoughts about what makes for a better more sustainable more just future all right kate it's been a pleasure um sorry for raiding your fridge i i forgive <laughs> okay too kind bye bye This podcast is part of the three-year project Urbana, Urban Arenas for Sustainable and Just Cities. It was funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme.